You're listening to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, and we are proud to welcome back returning sponsor, Onares. Providing a powerful and flexible system for managing vacation rental properties, Onares provides booking and maintenance management, payment scheduling and collection, as well as insightful reporting. Onares will provide you with a long-term booking foundation that is scalable for your vacation rental business while fully managing your channel listings, but still focusing on your brand, your website, and your way of doing things. If you sign up now using the promotional code VRF30, that's VRF30, you can get 30% off your first three months. Make sure you listen into the mid-episode break where you'll hear some great testimonials about Onares and more about this incredible company. For more information about Onares, click in the link in the description of this episode on your smart device. Let's get started. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. In this, our 500th episode, I have brought together three industry thought leaders to talk about what we can do now to make our business successful in the future. Steve Schwab from Casago, Robin Cragen from Moving Mountains in Colorado, and data genius Evan Dolgau from Adaptive join me for an absorbing discussion of where we're going and what we need to do to make it happen. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast on this, our 500th episode. So exciting. You know, I feel it's just such an achievement. I can't believe we have got there. We've done 500 episodes. But you know, I first heard about this new medium called podcasting back in 2007. And I'm a perennial early adopter and I get excited about anything that's new. So without really thinking about it, I went off to Amazon and I brought a microphone and a mixer. But sadly, I couldn't figure out any of the tech and there was nothing out there at that time that was really helping newbies start a podcast. And it was way more complicated then than it is now. So the equipment just got buried in an office cupboard for the next six years until I came across a guy called Cliff Ravenscraft and his show, which was called Podcast Answer Man. And Cliff had a course, it was an expensive course at that time, but I just went for it because the course ran over 13 weeks and was going to teach me everything about creating a show from getting the equipment together to interview techniques and everything in between. And I just had to do this thing. And there was one thing that Cliff said that still resonates with me today. And I always talk about this to other people who are thinking about podcasting. He said, if you can get past seven episodes, you're 80% more likely to succeed than if you abandon it before that point. When he said seven episodes, he meant seven consecutive ones, not recording one every few weeks and then leaving it another couple of months. So I did seven episodes. I made it to the seven episodes in 2013, but then I abandoned it. So approaching 2014, Mike and I sat down to do a plan for the year ahead for Vacation Rental Formula. And the first thing we said was that if we were going to succeed, we had to be consistent. And we kept that promise to ourselves. Nine years later, as I record this 500th episode, I'm so proud we have never missed a week. 
So over that time, if you've been around with me for all these years, you've heard me talk about the weather, talk about the weather a lot, my RV trips, my dogs, and my family. But the best part of it all is that I've been able to talk to the best people in this industry. So many successful hosts and managers and thought leaders who have shared their experience and expertise without looking for anything in return. So I want to thank them. I want to thank my faithful audience, the ones who listen every week. You know who you are, the ones who stop me at conferences to tell me how much you enjoy it, because it can be a lonely little task sitting here down in my basement studio on my own and not actually knowing if people are out there enjoying it. And I do thank everybody who has left me a testimonial. In this 500th episode, I wanted to bring together three more outstanding people to talk about the future of the business and what we as managers and hosts need to do to get ahead of the noise and disruption that will inevitably occur as we move forward. So I'd like to welcome Steve Schwab from Casago, Robin Cragen from Moving Mountains in Colorado, and data genius Evan Dolgau from Adaptive, as they're joining me today in a panel discussion. So without further ado, let's head right on over to that panel. I'd like to welcome my panellists today for what is going to be the 500th episode of the, of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. We've been going for nine years. We've got 1.3 million downloads, leading into 1.4 million very, very shortly. It's a massive milestone for us, and I wanted to get together some of the leading minds in this industry to have what I hope is going to be a really lively discussion today. So thank you for joining me, Steve Schwab, Evan Dolgau and Robin Cragen. So let's start with some introductions. Steve, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You're the founder, CEO of Casago. And you describe yourself as a property management nerd. I always used to call myself a nerd too. And I think Matt Lando and I did a, did a podcast on vacation rental nerds once. <laughs> so, so welcome. Tell us a little bit about Casago, where you are, where you come from and where you are now. Thanks. Well, first of all, congratulations, Heather. Amazing. Nine years every week. That's fantastic. What a commitment, right? It um, is so, yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> Casago is a company that was founded back in uh, 2000 down in Mexico, Rocky Point, Mexico, uh, when I was 28 years old. Got uh, started down there and had been growing it out. Hit uh, about 16 cities, mostly in Mexico, a couple in the U.S., and realized that there had to be a better way. And you can only be a local in one place. And the people that were on the ground and had ownership and knew you know, what to do there at the time were the, really the right people to run a vacation rental property management company. And so we pivoted towards franchising, where the people that are on the ground actually have ownership and get to grow their business and own the business and own Casago. And we've been uh, working on that model ever since. And so far, so good. It's been fantastic. We're up to 54 cities now. That is fantastic. And, you know, I, I had the pleasure of watching the, the premiere of the documentary that Matt Lando did. And I can't remember the name of the whole show. 
Oh, home runners. Home runners. <laughs> yeah. And and it was your story. And my goodness, I you know, I've, I I will put make sure there's a link to that episode of Home Runners because it was so inspirational and it's such a pleasure to have you here. Robin, thank you for <laughs> for getting for, for joining us, getting your video fixed and being with us on the show today. It's the first time I've had you on the Vacation Rental Success podcast. We haven't met, and I'm sure we will do so later this year at some point. But I feel I know you because of what I hear about you. You know, your company, Moving Mountains, you manage luxury rentals in Beaver Creek, Steamboat Springs, Vale, Breckenridge, all in Colorado. And I'm sure everybody would like to hear a little bit more about where you've come from, where you are now. Thanks, Heather. Um, and yes, once again, congratulations. I've been a longtime listener, follower of your podcast and uh, it's been fun to recognize a friendly accent from across the pond. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, you know, revel in the fact that uh, anyone can uh, join into this industry. You don't necessarily have to be within the U.S. You don't have to be from around here. Um, that They definitely, you know, all, all people have been welcomed. So anyway, enjoyed uh, sharing the cultural references that you bring into your podcast. But uh, we've been going for 25 years, so we've been in this industry for a while, um, but I feel like uh, anyone, we've been experiencing the roller coaster of changes over recent years. Um, in many ways, I feel like in the last five years, our growth has meant that we're almost a new business at the scale that we currently operate. We've grown our business very, very slowly over the first 20 years and then gone through rapid growth spurt, um, but we still consider ourselves to be a pretty small player. We manage about 200 uh, luxury homes, as you pointed out, in the Colorado market. So very excited to be part of this conversation. Well, thanks for joining us. And last but not least, Evan Dolgau, who I credit as being the, the one person ever who has helped me to understand data, which is why this is your third time on the show, Evan. Uh, you know, I've, I saw you speak in Miami and again in Barcelona earlier this year and uh, learn something new every time. So um, Evan is the head of predictive hospitality at Adaptive and he's going to tell us a little bit more about where he's come from, what he does now. Yeah, I'm honored to uh, a panel with all these vacation rental legends such as yourself, Rob and Steve. I'm an aspiring vacation rental nerd currently in training. But uh, long story short, I entered this industry two years ago after being a real estate guy. And when I entered it, I was shocked because I came from the physical side of real estate. And now I'm a machine learning consultant with Adaptive. So as a machine learning consultant, I've been fortunate to peek under the hood of over 100 vacation rental companies in the last year. So today, I hope to share those frontline insights. And what we do at Adaptive is we take machine learning capabilities, artificial intelligence, we gradually integrate them into vacation rental businesses. Because as we know, artificial intelligence is very much a crawl, walk, run approach. And that's the approach we follow. So I'm looking forward to sharing those insights today and learning more from all of you three. There was there's something on your bio that, that stood out to me. And I think hopefully we'll, we'll cover it a bit later. It says, by predicting what guests want, before they have the thought, Evan leverages that's a best-in-class ecosystem. And I just like before we have the thought, and I thought that that's really something interesting we can we can touch on. But I want to jump straight into the main theme of this discussion. We're talking about are you prepared for the future of short-term rentals, and it's what we need to do now to go forward successfully, given the speed of change. And I know I was in the business for twenty years, and you know way back in 
the period sort of from 2003 to 2013, everything went nice and slowly. And there wasn't, in fact, there wasn't really much of a change. But as we know, in the past six months, the change has been so dramatic that I think it's taking a lot of people off guard. And there's always this potential disruption in the industry, but it seems to be coming at us harder and faster than it ever has before. So I want to go backwards a little to start with, because there seems to be a lot of baggage that came out of the pandemic that's still impacting mm. the business. And it was raised in an article I read on short-term rentals. I've just interviewed Paul Stevens, in fact, from short-term rentals, and he keeps reminding me it's rentals with a Z. And the article was by Simon Lehman of AJL Atelier, and he talks about learning from the mistakes made in the pandemic. And he says, and I'm quoting here, operators are sleepwalking into a crisis and threatening to make the same mistakes they made when the pandemic hit. And he cites companies that let go of staff and then had problems in finding them again. And he talks about the need to deliver on operational efficiencies, as well as he talks about the hiking of rates leading to an investment surge and oversupply. And then there's the data companies that want us to believe that demand hasn't slowed, but we hear a different story from so many owners and operators this year. So that's a lot of baggage to unpack. So go. <laughs> Do you believe that this is the case? And uh, Let's start, Steve. Are managers making the same mistakes they made at the outset of the pandemic? And what, what do you think those mistakes are? I think from uh, the point of view of our property managers making mistakes, uh, yes, I, I think this is coming. But I, I compare it more to the 08 crash. I remember in 08, I thought that uh, business was easy. You know, going into 08, uh, I, I kind of came up through the first run. I'm like, this is easy. Why does anybody say business is hard? And I was at a mastermind about a year and a half ago, and I heard this gentleman say, I never lose. I never. I, I can make money on anything I do. I never lose. And I thought, uh-oh, I heard that before when I was a young man. And uh, we lost a lot of uh, the community in the 08 crash. And they fell away, those who weren't ready, those who didn't have savings or, or had been running off the cash flow and, and building as fast as they could. And I think that's uh, more in alignment with what I see coming. It's getting softer. We've got a whole bunch of inventory out there that's creating lower occupancy per property and a lot of bloated companies that are, don't have money in reserves for the future. We saw that at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Suddenly companies just after 30 days started dropping off. It was kind of shocking. And yeah, do I think we're heading back there? Yes. Do I think it's more of a slow crash train wreck sort of thing that happens? It's not like suddenly like COVID in one weekend was here. <laughs> I think it was, I mean, as, as per the shutdown, not as per the, mm -hmm. the transition of things. But I think that's uh, more in alignment with how I see it happening over the next year and a half. Robin, where, what, what happened with you in the pandemic? Did you, do you think you made mistakes that, uh, that perhaps you wouldn't do the, the next time as we, we go through the remainder of this year and, and into the future? You know, during the pandemic, you know, I think uh, there was a lot of... Uh, time there where we were literally felt like we were in free fall. And uh, it was that, that uncertainty cost us all a lot of sleep, created a lot of stress in our business. But I think Simon's message is a message that um, we, we always should be hearing in our, in our ear when we're thinking about the, the next year, what's coming is never to look back and assume that what happened in the past is a predictor of what's going to happen in the future. 
Um, having gone through 08, like Steve um, said, I mean, business was so hot in 07 and 08. It felt like you just couldn't keep up. And then as we quietly rolled over a cliff and saw the market downturn, you know, it was kind of interesting for us being in the ski markets that I, I'm, I'm fond of saying to people, it's like, you know, the primary driver in our business is actually the amount of snow that falls every winter. And maybe fortunate for us that even during the, um, the, that big market crash, people that had money still wanted to ski as long as we had good snow on the ground. The time for us that the recession showed up is in, in 2011, which was three years into the Great Recession, kind of when things were bottoming out and we had a bad snow year combined with the economic downturn. And that was a devastating drop in demand for our market. I mean, I remember going to local meetings and seeing big players in town saying, well, our best strategy that we've come up with is to uh, cut prices by 40%. And, uh, you know, it just kind of left my jaw on the floor because Mm -hmm. at that point, it was clearly a race to the bottom. And those are the kind of things that you want to avoid. So lessons from that that I think we carried into the pandemic is, you know, fundamentally, nothing was really wrong with our business. We just had to kind of wait for travel to resume. We had um, probably, we were as surprised as anybody that travel bounced back as hard as it did. And for a lot of the time after that, it was a question of just trying simply to uh, keep up with the demand, you know, that revenge travel demand that started to gather momentum. And we definitely uh, had to work through some operational challenges, just the local regulations to do with health restrictions and occupancy size and things like that. Constant, constant paying attention to what's the latest message, what's the latest thing. I think we reinvented ourselves a dozen times in that two-year period as to how we were going to kind of muscle through this. So I think, you know, I, I at this point, having made it this far, I just never take any day for granted. I think constantly you have to go back and be reminding yourselves that you can't function without a budget. This question of financial hygiene, I think, you know, Simon has been uh, broadcasting this for a couple of years. Um, I think it is still surprising that there are managers out there that are not looking at their budget every month, Mm -hmm. that are not looking at their expenses. You know, there's one part that you're all, you get excited about driving the top line number, but you've got to be looking at what you're spending behind that. I think that is such a great point. You know, I know it too. I went through exactly the same thing and we were financially healthy. We, We were shut down for six months. We could have been shut down for a year and we would have managed and we would not have had to let anybody go. So I'd learned that from from previous years, but I think that is that that is a great message that that Simon is giving is is you know thinking way ahead, not just the next three or four months, and not just thinking oh is, is recession going to happen and going to be over in by, by Christmas, but by taking things way further forward. We mentioned um, oversupply, and, and I think Simon mentioned this in in his article about you know people buying in to investing and and struggling now. And I, I saw a post from Lance Stitcher from Seaside Vacations on um, Matt Landau's site. And he said, some of the entrants that jumped into this little niche will realize that it ain't so easy and some will pull back. Others who confuse technology with hospitality may be pushed out. Do you want to jump in there, Evan, about confusing technology with hospitality? Absolutely. And thank you all for those historical perspectives, because I actually see it from a little bit of a different angle. And I sort of see the pandemic as, in a way, I know it was very hard times for many, but as a necessary evil to propel the digital revolution. 
We weren't able to see each other in person, so it forced everyone to increase their investment into digital education. And what we've seen is a lot of companies transition from their pen and paper traditional ways into becoming digital businesses where all of their touch points, everything they do from operations to direct bookings are logged and documented in their databases, which is extraordinarily important for where we're heading. And yeah, I totally agree. And I think there are lessons learned from these major companies that went technology first. They forgot about hospitality. And the lesson learned there is that hospitality comes first. But at the same time, and I think uh, all of you can relate, you chose this industry because you're hospitable people. You want to give good hospitality and create experiences for your customers. But at the same time, hospitality doesn't just start when they arrive at your door. It starts before the stay, when they're on your website or in your marketing. It's after the stay, when you're trying to create loyalty. So when it comes to oversupply and it comes to focusing on technology, there's certainly a balance that has to be found. And uh, it's, it's, the question becomes, where do you draw the line on techno technological investment and hospitality? And that and the priority at the end of the day, 100% should be any technological investment you make better optimize your hospitality operation because without hospitality, this industry is nothing. That's that's such a good point. Um, I was, and I'd mentioned um, a podcast, a, a podcast episode I'd listened to recently, the No BS podcast, where Bill Faith was interviewed from the Short Term Rental Wealth Conference, and it was a very interesting episode. If anybody hasn't listened to it, I would go there and 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 take a listen, and think about you know what is is this the future of this business because. Hospitality did not come across as the number one thing that you should be thinking about when you're investing in properties. I'd love, uh, I'd love your take on that, either Robin or Steve, whoever jumps in first. Uh, I mean, it, you speak in my language, Evan. I mean, it's like uh, we feel like we've uh, always been in the hospitality business, and I've sometimes gone to conferences, and I see up on stage people talk about the latest funding round or, you know, that they're um, a tech-enabled business and I, I wonder where the H word disappeared to, you know, it's like uh, fundamentally, if we don't deliver a great experience to our guests, then what's the point of everything else? So, uh, I mean, for, for our perspective in, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely awakened and excited by where we are at this moment in time, that we have so much great technology available to us. I mean, um, if, if you've been in this business for a while, you remember, and I think I've heard you speak to this, Heather. You know, running your business from spreadsheets and being cautious about the first time that you bring tech into your business and whether it really is a solution, whether it actually completely uh, takes up your day, taking time away from the hospitality experience that you're trying to deliver. You know, I, th I think this is uh, it's an exciting time, but you cannot lose the focus on if you're not delivering a great experience to your guests, it doesn't matter what tech you have. That segues nicely into what I wanted to ask about uh, where in, where managers sh should be investing their time and their money now to create that successful future. You know, I I think that uh, at the end of the day, we are at uh, we are in the business of human connection, and that's through providing place and time and allowing people to be seen and heard and, uh, and enjoy these experiences with their families or friends or even alone sometimes. When we invest into technology, I think the important thing is to understand we have to invest in it to make us bionic, not robotic. And, <laughs> you know, it, it drives Jennifer Mucha crazy when I tell the story. 
And I always talk about blocks, right? So for me, the industry changed a lot when remote locks came into place. Do I think they're fantastic and they have their place? Absolutely. There's no two ways about it. I'm not going, I'm not against rem- you know, remote locks and, and uh, automated locks. But when I first started in the business, we'd have people come into the office. I'd hand them the key. You know, all of a sudden, like eight dudes would pull up for a one bedroom, throwing cans in my parking lot. Like, no, you're not. No, I'm not giving you the key. Get out of here. But we build these all these fantastic relationships with people. They'd come into the office, and I met this couple who was just dating, and then they got married, and then they brought their baby into me the year after to introduce me, and these fantastic relationships. And we've lost a lot of that. And in in reverse, you know, we started looking at well, at first we started looking at all the efficiencies of it and how it could drive revenue. But I think we lost a lot of our human connection through that because the entire industry was focused on scale and efficiencies. And, you know, and, and, and even lack of mistakes, there, there is a lot of human error that happens when you're, you know, this one-on-one thing. And I think that if we're going to be investing into technology, how do we find our human element, that hospitality, the, the soul of the company that you want brought across? And what technologies can you find that help you do better at that? How do you find uh, connections that allow you to have the conversations that you want to have or the experiences uh, within your properties that you want to have. Because at the end of the day, if we're not giving people an experience, all we're doing is giving them a concrete or wooden box in the middle of somewhere pretty. And we're just logistics uh, companies. And that's not who we should be. We need to be hospitality companies that find a way to bring back that human connection. Because at the end of the day, with our homeowners and our guests, that's who we are or who we should be. I want to go back to Evan on this one and and back to his his bio and where he says by predicting what the guests want before they have the thought. That, to me, does point to the, a human connection. You know, if you, if you understand what they are thinking before they have, what they want before they have the thought and you deliver that, is it just a matter of delivering it or is there something about the way in which it's delivered that is going to create that connection? Yeah, you know, it comes down to scaling because scaling is not unique to our industry. Everything has scaling laws from biology to cities to government. Those scaling laws exist throughout all aspects of our life. So as property managers, you need to figure out how do you double your revenue without doubling your workforce? Because you need to work at becoming leaner rather than larger. And that way you work at scale. So when it comes to the idea of predictive hospitality, the reason your business is important to be digital, a digital business is because you get all of these touch points from how are they using your website? What type of marketing are they clicking on? And millions of touch points that our brains can't process, but the computer can't. For example, when you use Amazon, Amazon follows you throughout the site. The more you click, the more it learns about you. Next thing you know, you have 10 things in your cart. So the idea of predictive hospitality is how do we predict what the guest wants before the stay during the stay and after the stay. And by doing that, we can essentially blur the lines between a luxury hotel with a concierge and short-term rentals. But the only way to do that is to cultivate those data points through digital touch points. So uh, that's why I think, yes, investment into your digital practices are important. But at the same time, this may sound counterproductive, everyone is looking at AI as a magic bullet, like it's going to solve anything. And the reality is, is 99% of businesses out there don't need AI to solve their problems. So I just want to make that loud and clear as a machine learning consultant that AI is likely not the solution that you're looking for. Well, that's interesting because every, everything we're looking at at the moment is telling us that AI is the solution. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, 
post-pandemic, so much has changed. Because for three years during the pandemic, you couldn't open an article or a blog post or listen to a podcast without hearing the word COVID. And now, of course, you know, you, you rarely see one that doesn't mention AI or chat GPT. I think-, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's, I mean, it is it is a, a revolution that is right in front of us. It's, And I feel like it is a new and exciting tool in our toolkit. But just as Evan said, you know, there are no magic bullets in this industry. So fundamentally, you need great people that understand who, what your company is in the marketplace and what experience it is that you're trying to deliver. You need strong relationships with your owners, and then you need to find the right guest that is looking for that experience that you want to offer. That is people, people, people all the way through. How you operate your business, what happens behind the scenes, that is where smart use of the right technology and, you know, I definitely think that one of the challenges for the smaller managers, people like ourselves is, uh, and I've, I've heard you speak to this too, is like, what tech do you need and what tech don't you need? Having an optimized tech stack and having an integrated tech stack and finding the efficiencies, these are the tools of the trade, but it does not take away from having people in the front line delivering experiences. And I mean, in many cases, we say we're problem solvers and, it, and we're not yet to the point where... I can say, speak to this machine and it can tell you what's wrong with your house. You know, I think it's, uh, there's many tools to the, to the toolkit that are going to help us do this better. We need to be paying attention to that because I think many of these things are going to be developed in the next coming years. It's exciting to see what we can already use AI for, but I think many of the things that AI is going to help us with in the future you know, those are just beginning to take shape. I was listening to the founder of Plum Guy talking at the Skift um, STR conference about how they have gone down the rabbit hole trying to see what AI can do to help their business. And I would say, you know, it's not conclusive yet as to whether they've moved the needle. They've identified opportunities, but it's still, they, he's very quick to say it's still at a very formative stage, you know, so... We should be paying attention to this for sure. I mean, Evan, you're sitting in the right place. There's going to be some great opportunities in this area in the future. Yeah, I think Evan's at the vanguard of what's going to happen. And uh, even if we're not all exactly sure what it's going to be, I think Evan's going to be there with Adaptive. I I read this great article um, interviewing Brian Chesky and talking about what he'd said at, at at a conference and I thought his approach to the AI was was probably one of the best I've I've heard or read in this case. But he's you know he said basically people don't want to talk to a bot. The bots aren't you know going to be forward facing, but they're pretty heavy and they're making a pivot right now and they're pretty heavy into the AI. And he talked about how they had and I, I may misquote this, but they had like hundreds of different clauses and pieces and policies on cancellation. And you're throwing these. He's throwing his customer service people up front saying, okay. Here's all these hundreds of things, and you need to sort this out. And as you're having conversations with people about cancellation policies, you need to get it right. And he's taught, and they're working on how does the person on the phone through AI get to the proper cancellation policy and procedures? And how do you make them bionic? How do you create a place where the person on the phone is suddenly able to access and understand the information in a, in a congruent way that's consistent? and uh, have better customer service with better answers uh, as they're on the phone. I thought that was actually fantastic. And it kind of goes into, you know, Evan's uh, business model and how he's doing things. And kinda, I mean, within that same line of thought of how do you how do you know that through theory of mind and these sort of things when it comes to AI? So 
How are you? How are you guys using Chat GPT? Because this fascinates me. Because I, I was, I'm, I've been a content creator for for many, many years, and my first thought was, wow. And I, and I didn't think, you know, my job's going to be taken away because I can, I don't actually have a job, so it it didn't really bother me. But I, I start, so I started to use it, and I'm fascinated by what it does for me. But I still spend probably a similar amount of time inputting my own voice and my own tone into it. I mean, we use it for, we are building the new website and and I'm writing a lot of material for it. And ChatGPT is helping me with that. How are you using it, Robin? Yeah, Heather, we're, the, the word you just said there, content creation, that's the most obvious and most proven use that we've found so far. So I think that that would be interesting in that I, I really wonder, uh, I, do, I do find that a lot of people in our industry haven't yet realized that content creation is a huge, can and should be part of your marketing strategy to provide the right information to be effective on your SEO, your blogs and things like that. It's, it's obviously a great time saver. Um, it's helping bring, you know, it's, it's like having another creative person sitting next to you saying, here's a blank sheet. I want to write a blog article. I want to talk about this, this, and this. And it can give you the bones that that is, uh, you know, in a busy day, that's going to save 20, 30, 40 minutes of brain damage that you might go through in order to get your outline onto the sheet that maybe an hour later is a, is a blog article that you're ready to post. So for us, that's been the first um, learning. Some of the communications that we've been drafting, I think it's, it's, it forms a perfect skeleton on which you can hang your voice. But, you know, that would be the message that I would give to people is never, never assume that chat GPT can speak for you. Um, you've got to put your voice into it. You've got to fact check it. There have been some good examples out there of, uh, of people using chat GPT and, uh, and not everything that the uh, computer found out because it's working from a, a set of data that it's been programmed to understand or refer to. And not everything in there is as accurate as it needs to be. So you've got to fact check. Never make an, an assumption that ChatGPT has it down 100%. Dave, what about you? Yeah, yeah so, you know, uh, there's a content explosion happening right now. There's uh, and it's an arms race for content, right? And if you're not, <laughs> uh, if you're not keeping up, you're going to be left behind. in Google, we were originally worried that Google may see a because it, it can tell if it's AI content. There's checkers for that. We were thought, well, we were kind of behind the behind the curve a little bit. We were thinking. You know they're going to get a hold of this and think this is AI written and we're gonna and we're gonna lose rankings on this through David and Gotti and discussions. Uh, he, you know they're saying that they don't care how it's produced as long as it's quality. We're using it for content, but making sure that the human elements in there make sure that it's really quality, highly usable content, not content for content's sake. We're it's fantastic is for our team who has to write an emotional response to a bad review, putting the bad review in there and letting it turn out something and then going back to it, taking your own emotions out of it. It's been fantastic for that. We use Jasper AI because you can build your own brand voice inside of it. And so it's closer to what you want your brand voice to sound like. We've been doing a lot of that uh, with it. We've we've played around with uh, uploading a lot of content into some of the, uh, through Zapier into it and see what pops out. Still not there yet, but uh, those are the roads we're heading down. Yeah, really interesting, particularly the response to reviews. And and I wish we had had that because, you know, 20, we and, and Robin, you've been there. You know, there's times when you do get 
Uh, or maybe you don't get negative reviews for your luxury properties, but we used to get, you know, some negative reviews here and there. And and it was a struggle to not respond um, from a knee-jerk position. And we used to tell our, I mean, I used to tell myself, write what you want to write, sleep on it, and then the following day you write what you should write. But that takes up so so, so much less time if you just put that review into ChatGPT and you get the what you should write at the outset. You must have a yeah, I have to say, I, I, I think we are fortunate. Uh, I don't spend my days writing responses to negative <laughs> reviews. But, um, but, I, but I would say that to your point is like never, you know, before you hit the send button, um, there a moment for reflection is is never a bad thing, and uh, you know we obviously um, not every guest is one hundred percent satisfied, so you have to work through some of those challenges. I don't know that I've really got to writing a response to uh, to a, a guest complaint or a problem based on a ch- chat GPT, but I we've drafted some uh, employee communications um, that way. Um, I think we'll see it helping us more with uh, internal communications. Again, it's it's creating an outline. You know, we're definitely learning as we go. It's it's formative stages at this point. Evan, what do you think about the whole use of ChatGPT? And you know, you, you, you're there with with the knowledge and the experience, and seeing you know the whole world just jump into it in January, February of this year. Going, wow, this is this is the new thing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, look, ChatGPT has become one of my best friends because uh, the more you talk to it, the more it understands you. But at the same time, it is a double-edged sword in my world. The reality is, is that it's taught us this expectation that deploying AI is easy. You plug something in and it spits something out. That's just simply not true. So now everyone expects to start running with AI before they even have the infrastructure to even begin with it. Because the idea with AI is it's not a solution to solve your problems. It's an optimizer. It's meant to enhance your existing operations. How do you pour fuel on the fire, not actually build the fire? So ChatGPT, it's excellent. I'm not going to say anything revolutionary here because it's, it's pretty simple to figure out its use cases. But at the same time, it's very frustrating that everyone expects to be an AI expert without even putting in the effort, one, into education, but two, into the infrastructure of your business to actually deploy real AI solutions, like Steve mentioned before with Brian Chesky. And Steve, I don't know about you, but I I don't think Brian is going to tell us about his plans that he's doing tomorrow. Uh, In reality, I think they've been using AI for the last five to 10 years. So he's just, he was playing a little, uh, playing a little PR over there. But yeah, it's the idea of how do you reduce the friction, reduce the cognitive load to get that guest to the end zone, to make sure they spend the most they can on a property they really are going to enjoy. So it's about connecting the dots, reducing friction, and that's a much more complicated equation to solve than just typing something in and spitting something out. So go on, Robin. It does feel like there's another, there's another um, evolution that's to come is, I mean, I love that concept that you could say to chat GPT, I want to go to Steamboat Springs. I'm looking for a house, ski in, ski out. Here's my, I've got my family group, you know, I've got mom, dad. My parents are getting old. Perhaps we'd like to have an elevator. We definitely want a great view of the mountain. This is our price range. I mean, all the things that are today the uh, dis- the data points around some- which someone's going to make a decision. So currently, the tool that's available to us is traditionally. It doesn't matter where people are doing their research. I always say the ground zero is Google. Mm-hmm. People start on Google. You got to win that battle first. If they find their way to your website, here we have um, 100 homes in the steamboat market. And they began a search based on dates available, dates of travel, 
and initial outline of the group and their filter, filter, filter down to ideally two or three choices Mm -hmm. and hopefully something checks the box. At some point they may, if you're lucky, in our case, I think we are lucky, pick up the phone and actually decide that they want to talk to somebody. But increasingly, if you're talking about friction, I think of like, we all know that um, picking up the phone is a friction point. How much more information could you deliver in a somewhat interactive um, conversation with technology to say, here's the home you're looking for. This is the perfect home in your price point, um, in the right location, and it has seven out of the 10 amenities you're looking for. It feels to me like we're still some ways away from that. So from my perspective, it's like, okay, I'm leveraging the tools that I have today, but I want to look over the hill and say, how do I align myself with this scenario that is probably coming where something interactive is going to help the guest make that decision in the future? It sounds like, Robin, like what maybe kind of you're envisioning is like the availability search bar being transformed in something with natural search, with natural language, right? Where you start describing, but you'll be to, able to talk yeah. to the machine and say, "This yeah. is what I'm looking for." Instead yeah. of punching in dates and bedrooms and area and all that, you're like, you know, you have a conversation with it. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Can I just caution that uh, right now? I think the biggest the biggest trend are these chatbots. All over the place, we have these AI chatbots that are going to answer every question. I read so Booking.ai is actually Booking.com's data science and machine learning team, and they publish all of their studies. So about a few months ago, they published a study that they've spent somewhere in the realm of like several hundred million dollars on their chatbot over the last decade. And their chatbot currently solves about 40% of inquiries without a human in the loop. So we have all of these companies that are spawning out of nowhere saying, we have a chatbot that can answer every question. Then you go and look at their team. They're not engineers. They know nothing about AI. So do you really think that these chatbots that came out of the blue are going to solve all your problems when Booking.com spent almost a billion dollars on there and it's only solving 40%? I think that's just uh, something for everyone to consider. This is such a great conversation and we're going to be back with Steve, Robin and Evan in a few minutes while we take a short break to talk about our sponsor for the next 10 weeks, Onares. I started CLRM because I saw that the competition was missing the mark in our area and knew we could do better. And this is how so many successful businesses start. And it was exactly the same with the founders of Onares, who just happened to be software engineers. They were struggling to find a management company to look after their own properties, so decided to manage it themselves. But the lack of good software made it challenging. Now, remember, this was before Airbnb existed. And at that time, Verbo was called VRBO, and it was just a glorified, classified ad site. But in the years since, the founders have grown Onares to an award-winning software option for hosts and property managers. And because they've been homeowners and property managers themselves, they like to say, we've walked a mile in your shoes. And they know what's really important and necessary in a good property management software. Here at the Vacation Rental Formula Business School, we're selective about our sponsors. And we only work with those whose products we've used ourselves or where we've personally collected feedback from their users. So over the next nine weeks, we're going to be sharing stories from both independent owners and property managers. They'll be talking about their successes with using the software and how it streamlines their businesses. And I know from personal experience how challenging it is to decide on the right software. So hearing from other users is just so important. 
Take a look at ownerreservations.com and see for yourself how Ownerres brings years of being in the same business as you to making their property management software the perfect fit. That is a great segue into what I was going to ask next, which is, you know, there's so many platforms out there. You, you go onto the websites and AI is, is all over the front page above the fold. And it's, you know, we've incorporated AI and, and it's very easy. And I'm, you know, for, for a lay person to look at this and to fall into the hype, just as you said, you know, oh, let's get a chat bot. Here's somebody out there that's telling me that they can do everything little bit like property management software. Um, so uh, how do you know what's worth buying into? Or, or should you be buying into anything at the moment? 100%. And I think it comes down to that we've actually been using AI for the last 10 years, even though we haven't noticed it. Whether you're on social media, whether you're on Amazon or any of the OTAs, the reason all of those platforms are so successful is because they personalize the experience to you in real time and you keep coming back and they remember you. They know what you like. They know how much you could spend. So the idea of having an OTA as a billboard means that, okay, you brand your profile on the OTA very well. And the idea is that they Google you and then they come direct. But if your website doesn't fall in line with the OTAs, it's much clunkier and it's much more friction. They're going to leave you and go back where they came from. So I think the question becomes is at what point is AI really a, a priority? And that becomes uh, the priority when, when conversion rate optimization is the priority. And what that means is right now, everyone has customers landing on their website, but are they happy with the amount they're converting? Because what I've seen is the average conversion rate of a, of a hospitality website, specifically a direct booking website, is about 0.3%. In e-commerce, it's around 2%. We are a long way behind trying to convert at a higher rate. So if you have all the tools, you have the website, you have everything looks, everything looks great, your marketing is flowing, but you're still at 0.3%, then it's time to look at other solutions to incre increase your conversion rate, increase the velocity your marketing team is able to deploy to increase loyalty. So it really becomes, have you hit that threshold where you've done everything humanly possible to achieve what you can, because then it's time to level up your technology. Evan, would you agree that it's um, there's kind of a trickle down effect, right, from the bigger players? I mean, the guys that are, you know, small property managers are not spending tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands, to develop this technology. And I mean, I personally would say, nor should they. But the people that are most likely to um, figure this out are the Expedias, the Booking.coms, the the Verbos, and so on. And our job is really just to stay in alignment with the direction that they're going. But, you know, fundamentally having a strong direct booking website, that's a tool that's available today. That's something very attainable that you shouldn't ignore the potential of that. I still hear a lot of conversation about should you and how do you develop a direct booking strategy. But by all means, I mean, leverage the fact that the other big players are investing millions of dollars. I love hearing uh, Graham Donahue from Sykes Cottages talking about his team of over 100 data scientists, you know. I would argue that probably most property managers are not using half the data that they have available to us. It's something we're working hard to try and do a better job of is understanding that you have data from your previous customer that can help make that previous customer return to you again and understand who other customers similar to them, you know, how you reach the other similar customers who haven't found you yet. That to me is much more 
in front of us, more attainable, more realistic using the tools that we have that we can afford to use today. That's why I'm so excited about it. You know, AI is leveling the playing field. It's it's only been accessible to big technology for the last decade. But then in the last two years in my role at Adaptive, we're democratizing that. And that gets me really excited because the reality is they don't the OTAs don't want you having that technology. They need customers to book on their platform. And if you can if you can equalize the playing field by having the same technology, that's a threat to them. So uh, that's what gets me excited. I love uh, I love empowering the little guys with big technology. And Robin, I think you nailed it. I would encourage anybody that is watching or listening to this, that if you go to a conference and you see that Evan is going to be on stage talking about this stuff, please go to it. It was, as I, as I said right at the very beginning, it was just gave me some big aha moments. One of the biggest ones was about all that data that Robin was just talking about that is there, that, that we have at our fingertips. And certainly for a lot of the small operators, I'm sure many of them don't even think about what they have um, just so easily available to them. It's impossible to unlock it. A human's brain is not meant to handle trillions of lines of data. Our brain doesn't work like that. We're in the hospitality industry, not the data industry. And even data scientists know that they can only handle so much data. And I, I love to think that, like, for example, people think that on Amazon, that there's a human behind the screen controlling your journey and serving you things they like. Impossible. They have 10 million people on their site every second. So it's about how do you take your existing team? How do you take them, give them the tools to grapple with that data? But more importantly, focus on deployment, focus on going on offense, because right now so much time is spent trying to organize that data, make sense of it, build audiences and cohorts. But that is a brutal process which is already uh, is already being transitioned. It's already being solved with artificial intelligence that can go through those millions of lines of data in a split second and give you those answers. But again, that is not an immediate effect. It takes time to get to that point, and you need to have all of that data. And exactly, uh, this is exactly the point that I want to make for these smaller managers that look up to you, Steve and Robin and Heather, is that you need tons of data for machine learning to be effective. Anyone trying to sell you an AI solution when you're really small, 20, 30 properties and only been in the business for two years, there's no chance you have enough data for the machine learning engine to be effective. You need to have 100, 100 plus properties, 10,000 monthly web visitors. There is a threshold that AI needs in order to be optimal. Well, thank you. This is such a great discussion and I almost hesitate to move on from it, but I, I do want to cover something else before we, uh, we wrap this up. Because this is something that's out there on LinkedIn, it's on Facebook, it's on podcasts, it's being discussed everywhere. And it's this growing division, which I'm seeing a growing division. I don't know if you are, and I'm going to ask you that question, between what some are calling traditional property managers, i.e. those who've been in the business before Airbnb, and the new generation of investors and hosts. And you know, I've, I've heard on some of these podcast episodes where they, they talk about, almost scornfully, of traditional property managers as being embedded in the past. And then, you know, I talked to, we talked to Steve, we talked to Robin, you've been in the business a long time. You are not embedded in the past. And I think you are the voice of the experienced property managers going forward. So how do you, I'm, I'm just curious what, what you think about it all, because it's got quite acrimonious in, in some areas. Yeah, I mean, I think you could be sensitive to being labeled an Airbnb, you know, and that's that is something um, that there has certainly been a lot of discussion about. 
I don't know if I, my sense is of the uh, of acrimony. Um, I definitely think that um, each each different group of property managers, it's a very very diverse industry. You definitely see that when you go to an industry event and you meet that cross section that goes from people that have been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years down to people that amazingly have been in the business three years and they've somehow amalgamated a portfolio of 300 properties. I'm personally uh, in awe of people that have managed that level of growth, but I'm also worried about the business that they've just created because if you created that business in the last two to three years, you may not be aware of what's ahead and what challenges you may have to face as the market takes a kind of a slowdown. And then, uh, you know, what keeps you in the game is, is relationship. Mm-hmm. If, you didn't, if you never took the time to form a relationship, a firm, grounded relationship with an owner, that owner is probably going to reject you the minute that the revenue goes out of tolerance with their expectations, which if they based it on the last few years are going to be sky high. So you have to be in a position where you're trusted to share market data that says if demand is going down, we should all expect fewer bookings. And potentially, we might have to move on price to go with the market a little bit. And so we're going to get fewer reservations and at a lower price. That should lower everyone's expectations. You should be in a position where you're comfortable to have that conversation with the owner who's not going to turn around and say, well, clearly you don't know what you're doing. But if you've been in the business of acquiring clients on price and this year you're losing them on price and you're in this kind of race to the bottom, I feel like some of those... uh, pop-up property managers that have just shown up and leveraged the value of the platform, Airbnb or Verbo, you know, something like that, never really had a direct booking strategy, therefore never really had a relationship with their guests. I wonder what their future is because it's going to be a very, there's going to be a division. There's going to be a separation, if you like. Those that are left wondering, why is it that I can't sustain my overheads now? And those that are what I would say is, you know, where we are right now, it feels like riding out another another mm-hmm. mini storm. It's not as hard and heavy as by, by no means close to what the pandemic was or even the Great Recession. But there's definitely a kind of a, a leveling off of where we currently are and coming back to reality. But, you know, um, I think what I like about our industry still is I see a lot of people sharing ideas and trying to lift each other up. And, um, you know, uh, Steve working with Matt Lando on the Keystone retreats, I'm sure you've seen everything. I've met such a range of different property managers through that gathering of uh, property managers that I sense that um, the smart ones are paying attention to what maybe the more experienced managers have been doing all these years. Yeah, I think to underscore some of uh, Robin's points is, you know, there's I remember when it was just VRBO first just came out and suddenly people, the bar was lowered because before then, if you didn't build an entire website and you weren't there on the ground, handing out keys, uh, you had to have a vacation rental property manager. That democratized and changed the industry forever. Suddenly we had self-renting owners, which was like not a thing. Then Airbnb, and everybody thought, well, VRBO is unstoppable. They'll always be king. And then the transition to Airbnb came. And then we've had this big run-up, especially since COVID, of a lot of people jumping on the on the bandwagon. And I think there's kind of it's kind of uh, described by certain groups who call themselves STRs. People are calling themselves VRs. And I was at the STR Wealth Conference, and they were talking about all the old people. They call themselves VRs. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I guess when well, I become the old guy. And there's definitely a shift in thinking. And a lot of these guys who call themselves STRs, they're they're and co-hosts. They're buying their sell. They're buying 
a lot of properties themselves. And quite honestly, the truth is Airbnb intentionally created co-hosts to undermine their traditional vacation rental property managers. You know, they don't have to go through the regulation we have to go through. They don't have to have trust accounting. They don't have to have a business license. And it was a way to sort of undermine this section of it. And it was intentional. It's an unlevel playing field because now you can operate as a co-host without all the regulation and all of the professionalism and the tools and things like that. It, is it necessarily wrong? I, no, things change. Uh, markets change, industries change. We're going to have to adapt to it. There's a lot of good ideas coming from these young co-hosts, young property managers, young short-term rental investors that we can get better at what we've done for all over the years. I think we need to listen to them. And when I hear them making, there's a natural, there's people in the industry who have a vested interest in making the, the vacation rental property managers traditionally, the traditional ones, and the new guys almost not like each other. And it creates this uh, sort of acrimonious uh, situation where they can make the other guys be the bad guys. Hey, be afraid of these guys are coming. Hey, the old dudes don't know what they're doing, you know. And I think that that's bad for all of us. We're all one industry. Maybe we may be different corners of the same industry, but every time I hear that, uh, I, I try to go make friends and find uh, out about them. And I'm learning a lot. I'm trying to take, I've tried to go into these with a beginner's mindset and learn from them because, and I am learning a lot from these guys. We have to understand that the market's shifting and we have to shift with it. But at the end of the day, we can be better property managers. We can be better advocates for our homeowners. We can be better hosts to our guests. And if there's some people doing it at small scale, uh, better, there's something to be learned from it. And we should jump into it and, and embrace them and love on them and bring them underneath the tent instead of uh, trying to push them out. Steve, that's brilliant. Yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Sorry, Heather. I just want to say that we just came, Heather and I just came from Barcelona where we attended Short Stay Week. And what I learned there is that there might be an industry divide, but what we really have here is an American problem. It's a mix of hubris, attitude, ego, putting mm -hmm. competition over collaboration. And during short stay week, I was shocked at the level of collaboration amongst competitors because they realized that they have to be in this together to move the entire industry forward. It's not about me being better than you or I'm doing great this year and you're not. Because if you think like that, then there's going to be a lot of people left behind. So I think uh, in America stateside regarding our conferences, it, we got to stop this pay to play to be on stage. We need to take the voices of, of these smaller players that are in, innovative. They're the ones who are collaborative because people like Steve who have been in the industry for years, if they're learning from these little guys, how much more so we all can learn from these little guys. So I really want to just make that point that we need to put collaboration over, over comp competition. I could not agree more. I mean, you could not have said it better, Evan. I mean, that that uh, was great perspective. And I've been to a couple of those European conferences a couple of years ago, and I would say that was my experience too, is a very much more elevated level of collaboration and sharing. Not that it doesn't exist within the U.S. I think it exists as strongly within certain subsets of the U.S. population of vacation rental managers. But um uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice. I use that expression, uh, 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 crabs in a bucket. We're a little bit like a bunch of crabs in a bucket over here, that we're pulling each other back into the bucket instead of lifting each other up. And, you know, that that should be a message. I, I think it speaks to, uh, Steve loves to talk about culture. I think there's something not yet fully formed in terms of the culture of the industry that we want to have in the U.S. And mm -hmm. um, we can have it within our own in individual 
companies about you know what our values are and what our ethics are and what we're trying to do together. We're still in a formative stage as far as developing a positive, um, uplifting culture within the industry in the USA. Thank you for that. And, and just briefly from, from my perspective, just to be able to marry the experience of tradition and the new ideas that the new entrants are bringing, I, I just don't see why we are not really capitalizing on, a, on that. And, and I think that sort of goes to what you were just saying, Robin, that, uh, you know, we're, we're maybe moving towards something like this, where we bring these two I hate to say camps, but t- you know, t- two factions together under that that umbrella of experience and new ideas. So, on that note, we are reaching the hour, and this has been such a great discussion. And I want to thank you all so much for for joining me to celebrate this five hundredth episode. I don't think I could have, I'd, well, you uh, could have delivered anything better to celebrate this milestone than you just have. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve Schwab, Robin Cragen, and Evan Dolgow. Wow, so much knowledge and experience in the room today. I hope you enjoyed that. There were so many topics and issues we could have explored. We could have gone on for so much longer. But I do try and keep our episodes around 50 minutes to an hour, and this one's going to be just over the hour. So unfortunately, we had to call a halt at that point. So I've got a lot of guests lined up for podcasts over the summer, and I'd also love to hear from you if you have any recommendations. Did you like that panel format? Should I do it more often, do you think? And third question, would you like to hear from anyone in particular? Please let me know. This show is for you, and we like to make sure we're covering topics that are of interest and bringing you the guests that you want to hear from. So you can connect with me at heather at vacationrentalformula.com if you've got any suggestions for the show or you just want to get in touch, whatever you'd like to do. So that's it for episode 500. We've come a long way since January 2014 when we committed to an episode every week And we're going to continue to bring you the best in knowledge for another 500. Thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you by the kind returning sponsorship of Onares. Don't forget, if you sign up, use the promotional code VRF30, that's VRF30, to get 30% off your first three months of usage of Onares, which is an internationally recognized leader in vacation rental software, And you can click the link in the description of this episode on your smart device or head over to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash ownerez to find out more. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.